Welcome everybody to the Life Plus God podcast. My name is Alyssa Robinson and I am here with Reverend Dr. Nick McRae and I got some news for y'all in case y'all didn't already know this is going to be his last official episode. Maybe we can get him to come back here on a non-official capacity. Uh, but he, yeah, so Pastor Nick is moving on and he has been appointed to a United Methodist Church out in Forney. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. Forney, first, Texas. First, first United Methodist Church of Forney. So he will be the senior pastor. So we are so sad to see him go. But all of this wisdom and knowledge that he's been laying on us for months now, he's going to take with him and keep teaching and preaching. And uh, maybe I can get him back here every now and then to talk me through the the scary stuff. <laughs> Sounds like fun to me. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of, today's topic is the Trinity. Um, so I feel like the Trinity is just one of those things within our faith doctrine that we are just told to accept. Mm -hmm. um, there is, I have never gotten into a debate with anybody about the Trinity mm -hmm. and what it means and where it came from and why we do it. And um, yet it's kind of a confusing concept. Yeah, absolutely. So <laughs> today we're going to ask the question, where did the Trinity come from? That sounds like fun to me. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. So I think that we should start at the absolute basics because any time that I've tried to explain the Trinity to someone, mm -hmm. I have failed mm -hmm. completely. And any time that someone's tried to explain it to me, I'm like, mm, okay. Like I've <laughs> often heard the, uh, well, it's kind of like water. Water can be a gas, water can be ice, it can be a solid, but it can also be a liquid, but it's all water. Mm -hmm. And I, that's the way that I've heard sure. the Trinity of Father, Son, Holy Spirit explained to me, but I'm still like, all right, like <laughs> fun, kitschy metaphor, but it, it doesn't really click. Like, how do you explain the Trinity to people? That's a, well, that's a really good question. And I think the answer, I hope I didn't take, <laughs> you were going to go with the water metaphor. No, no, I wasn't because, you know, and that's, it's, so that's one of the class, it's one of the classic, it's one of the classic bad explanations, uh, which what I mean, what I mean is it's sort of like, um, it's, it's often used as an example of, of, of an explanation for the Trinity that doesn't work because it's just, uh, well, so for instance, right, water, it could be gas, solid, or liquid, um, but it can't be all three at once, right? I mean, it, it can, I guess you could say it can be and that it has the potential to be all three at once, but it really, it's, it's usually, it's either one or the other, any particular molecule of water or whatever, right? So, um, and that would, that would be a big distinction between, a big difference between that concept and the idea of God. Now, I can see its usefulness as, as a, um, as an illustration, but it really, ultimately it does, it does break down because of that exact thing. And because when we're talking about the doctrine of the Trinity, what we're sort of proclaiming is that God is Father, Son, and Spirit all at once, all the time, mm -hmm. and not sometimes this one, sometimes that one. And so that would be the big difference. The Trinity is not in scripture, but we do see God described as Father, Jesus, uh, us claiming Jesus is God, Je Jesus saying, yes, I'm the one mm -hmm. that was sent by God. Mm -hmm. And then there's also mention in scripture of 
the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost. I, yeah. I don't know the exact words that's used, but this idea of us taking all of that and saying, okay, now we're going to call it the Trinity right. and there are only three, you right. know? Yeah. And so it, it is, it's, it kind of makes you wonder like, okay, who put this construct together? Yeah. I see how they mm -hmm. got it. Mm -hmm. Like pulling those different stories out of scripture and saying, mm -hmm. Hey, we see God described in a few different ways. But who did it? Yeah, a great question. So I think, um, well, yeah, we'll get to that. I want to, I want to touch on the, one of the things you just said first, and then we'll talk about the who. Um, in terms of, yeah, I think you're sort of, where I was going to direct us is sort of where you're at right now, which is uh, the sense that, yes, we see the elements for what would become or what, 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 what we, can, we, we can put together as a doctrine of the Trinity, but sort of spread throughout Scripture. And essentially, the doctrine of the Trinity takes all of those and puts them together and says, okay, here's what we have. We have one God. This God is, uh, is uh, we, we, we see that there are three, uh, and what would come to be called persons, where there are three personalities, three distinct um, uh, yeah, persons, uh, three distinct figures we see, uh, three distinct ways of, um, of this, this God communicating or being expressed uh, in that oneness. So we put those things together, and then we also say... Um, um, right, that uh, not only so so if we only had that, then we could say, okay, well maybe it is kind of like what you're talking about, the like water, steam, ice thing, where it's these three. Uh, so sometimes maybe God is like this, sometimes God is like that. But then there are places in Scripture, and these are the really crucial moments I think for the doctrine where we see all three at once. Ooh, can can you give an example yeah. of one of those? Because I don't know if I know a story like that off the top of my yeah. head. Yeah. So there are several. There are a few places that we that are sort of uh, uh, traditionally that we look to to see this. And I'm going to go to the beginning of, toward the beginning of Matthew. So the baptism of Jesus is like uh, sort of the classic um, example of where we see all three operating at one time. And so let's see, in Matthew chapter 3, Starting in verse 13, we read this. Then Jesus came from Galilee to, to, to the Jordan, to John, to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? And Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for, it is, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then here's the, the, um, the part we we're looking for, starting in verse 16. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove to come rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. So you can see there's, here, here's Jesus. Um, and then here's the spirit descending. And then here's the voice of God. So if we have some parts of scripture saying Jesus is God, some parts of scripture saying the spirit is God, some parts of scripture, scripture just talking about God, the father, or the, the um, saying that God is one. And then we see them all together. We have to deal with that. And that is how we arrive at the doctrine of the Trinity that, okay, within God, which is one, who is one, <laughs> there, there, there are three, and persons is the best word that the historically has been come up with to describe that. And it doesn't really make sense in a, in a rational sense. Like, for instance, there is no perfect analogy from like our, from our, our world, from nature, anything like that, that really captures it. And that is um, because, I would say that's because um, some things are beyond our, our rational explanation. So, um, yeah, the, the Trinity, once again, it would, it, Christianity would be a lot less messy without it, but it's also, I think, an essential 
uh, aspect of a lot of, 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 of the rest of our faith, which well, is really important. I, ha- I obviously I have a lot more questions, yeah. but um, I want to stop there for a second. Is believing in the Trinity a prerequisite for calling yourself Christian? Okay. That is a great question. For calling yourself Christian, no. <laughs> For being a Christian, that's going to depend on who you ask. So there's actually there's a great video about this. I wish I could remember the title of it, but I bet. So there's a there's a there's a YouTube channel called Ready to Harvest. Uh, I would recommend that channel to anyone. Essentially, what this guy does, um, he's like a he's like a Baptist Bible College professor somewhere. But his whole YouTube channel, almost all of his videos, he just describes Christian denominations in sort of as as objective a way as he possibly can. He does a really good job, uh, and. He has this one uh, this one video that, that addresses this, and um, uh, maybe maybe if you went to YouTube and typed in you know are Muslims Christian or something like that, mm-hmm. you could come up with it. Because essentially he's he's trying to figure out like how do we define what a Christian is, and he comes to the he he says very smartly that there are this is going to depend on who you ask. So for instance, from like a sociological perspective, anybody who calls themselves a Christian is a Christian, right? Um, but then when you look at it from from certain um, perspective of different traditions, like for instance, some traditions would say you have to believe in this list of things in order to be authentically Christian. Other ones would say, well, maybe you don't have to believe in such a specific number of things, but you know, but you want to say that you know Jesus is is God. You want to believe in the you know. So there might be a, a shorter list of things. So it's really going to depend on who you ask. Um, there because there are groups who. Def- identify themselves as Christian who don't believe in the Trinity. The Jehovah's Witnesses are a good example of that. They don't have the doctrine of the Trinity. They don't believe, uh, they don't believe in that. They don't is believe it in... just Jesus-centric is the whole thing? So, no, Jehovah's Witnesses... Um, or Father... It would be Father-centric? Are sort of like... Well, for Jehovah's Witnesses, Jesus is not God either. Okay. So you couldn't have really have the Trinity in that respect. They're, they are they're, they're are Unitarian, you could say. They're not Unitarians as in the denomination that calls themselves Unitarian, but they're Unitarian. There's like, there's one God, that God is what we call the Father, mm-hmm. and Jesus is not God, and the Holy Spirit is not God. I'm not an expert on, on Jehovah's Witness yeah. theology, but that's sort of a basic... But they they do consider themselves to be a Christian Christians, yes, faith. Yes, okay. as do... Um, traditionally Unitarians as well. Mm-hmm. So nowadays, uh, most Unitarians are, um, are are in the Unitarian Universalist Association, most of which don't consider themselves, or sorry, most many of which may not consider themselves Christian, um, but some, some will, mm-hmm. maybe many. I don't know the proportion, but you know, of the people that I know that are Unitarians, I would say most of them don't consider themselves Christians. Um, but historically, Unitarianism was a Christian denomination, and uh, they were essentially, they were basically Christians that just didn't believe or didn't accept the doctrine of the Trinity. So in every other way, you know, they're, they're, they, they worshiped in a very, almost the same way. The hymns were, the, you know, in some cases were the same. Um, they would do all the other stuff, but it just, they just didn't accept the doctrine of the Trinity. So, um, I think it's a very, personally, I think it's a very important element of Christian or Orthodox Christian theology. I guess I would say this, if you don't, so if someone doesn't need to like understand and like, so for instance, let's say someone became a Christian. They, they, um, they, they learned about Jesus. They said, I want to be a Christian. I want to be like Jesus. Uh, you know, and, and they, um, they become a Christian and they had never heard of the doctrine of the Trinity. They're still just as much of a Christian as someone who studied theology for years and decided, yeah, the, do- the Trinity is totally right. Uh, on the other hand, someone who actively rejects it. Now, I'm not saying that that person would immediately stop being a Christian, but I do think, I do think they would really need to. Um, they would have. They would really need to explain like that. They, they would. 
That's different in a way, right? And so then I would just have questions for them. Okay, well, why do you reject it? Where do you see, like, I would want to talk about that with them. Um, but I do think it's a, a normative part of, from my perspective, of, of Orthodox Christian theology is the doctrine of the Trinity. What is the purpose mm -hmm. of the Trinity? Like, it is a construct mm -hmm. that we created as a part of the faith structure, Um that we did pull from scripture, but right. we created it. Right. It was not something that was laid out for us of like, this is mm -hmm. the way that mm -hmm. God presents God's self. Um, why, why, why do we even need it? Rather than create it, I would say we discerned the doctrine. And also once again, a doctrine is, is a teaching, right? And so um, it's arguable what the quote unquote doctrines of the Bible are, but, but the, the question stands as to why, like, what's the point? What's the purpose? How yeah. does it, what effect does it have on Christian living and theology at all? Um, I think for one, it helps us. I think there are a few ways to answer this uh, on a very, very practical level, like experiential level. It helps us understand those parts of the Bible where we see things like, wait a second, I thought, so, so God is God, but now it's calling Jesus, you know, the only God, or now the spirit is being called the Lord, but just over here, it said Jesus is Lord. And over here, the God, the father is referred to as Lord. So on one level, it helps us understand that. Um, so I think that's a practical, uh, reason for the, for that. Another one is, um, just the idea that, well, we have to have some way of um, understanding what it means for Jesus to be divine, Jesus being the central figure of our faith, and then further what it would mean for the Holy Spirit to be divine. So it's kind of related to the last one, but just um, sort of maybe looking at each one individually. So what does it mean that Jesus is God? How can that be? Uh, this helps us with that question. Um, on a, um, a deeper theological level, I think atonement, like what Jesus did and how Jesus was able to do what Jesus did for us has everything to do with the doctrine of the Trinity and the whole tr doctrine of Trinity makes that possible. Um, do you want me to go into that? I would or, love that. Okay. So, <laughs> so there, there are lots of different, uh, what we call atonement theories, which are essentially ways of describing and understanding what Jesus did for us that, um, that saved us. So we say Jesus is, has saved us as our savior. What did Jesus save from? How did Jesus do it? What did that look like, et cetera? Different ways of describing it. One of the, uh, one of the classic ways, and um, you know, I, we could probably apply this to a lot of the different um, atonement theories. I'll just look at one, which is probably the most prevalent one in Protestant Christianity, certainly. And I want to say Western Christianity in general, and it's, but anyway, and that would be one called penal substitution. And there are different ways of describing it or, or satisfaction. Um, and that, that, this kind of theory gets a bad rap, uh, today because I, th I think because people don't understand the Trinity and here's what I mean. So this is the, I'm gonna give you the basic strokes of penal substitution. It says that, uh, humanity was guilty of sin. Mm -hmm. Um, the penalty for that sin is death. Jesus died in our place so that we would not have to suffer the penalty of our own sin. And that is what's so gracious, right? And that's the most broad strokes. And so without the doctrine of the Trinity or without maybe really um, 
absorbing, really letting it soak into you, you end up with the kind of criticisms that you get of it. So for instance, what you'll hear, and I have no doubt that you have heard and read this, is that like, well, the penal substitution is divine child abuse, right? Mm-hmm. It says, look, you know, God, God killed his son. Uh, the father killed his son in order to save us. That's child abuse. Or, um, you know, God was so wrathful. God just had to kill somebody. Uh, and it was either going to be us or it was going to be Jesus. And Jesus said, here, I'll do it. And that's what makes Jesus so great, but it doesn't make the father look very good. Right. Mm-hmm. These are a couple of different characters. Well, but of- I also, one of the things that feels like a contradiction to me is that in, and in the, not in every Christian tradition, but in much of the fire and brimstone mm-hmm. kind of tradition that you hear is like repent or burn in hell for eternity. Well, with this penal substitution theory, it's like nobody's going to hell. <laughs> nobody's going to suffer any punishment because Jesus did it for you. And mm-hmm. so you're off the hook entirely. Like, And right. so part of me is like, okay, why is everybody talking about like punishment and eternal damnation and like, where are you going to go after you die and all these things? I'm like, wait, with this theory, isn't that taken care of? Like, we don't have to worry about that. So if we stopped at Jesus died for our sins, yes. But the, there, the question then becomes how how do we become how do we become beneficiaries of that? And the Spirit fills in that gap. And I'll, I'll get there in a second. But yeah, that, that's that is that is a great question because that's exactly the argument that people who believe not all people, many people who believe in universal redemption, right? The idea that all people will be saved. For many of them, that's where it comes from. They might even say, yeah, you, yeah, penal substitution. I'm in on it. Um, but because of that, because Jesus died for our sins, that means that we none of us will suffer the penalty. Like it's done. And I, I understand where that comes from. But when you when you t- uh, begin to, to um, see it in a Trinitarian way, to see that, you know, okay, so, so here's God the Father, here's God the Son. They're, they're different in some way, but they're also the same in some way. Like they are both together with the Holy Spirit, God. And so... When Jesus dies for our sins, this is not a bloodthirsty God demanding a tribute, and it's not uh, God abusing his son in order to forgive us. It's God giving God's self in place of us. So, So basically, this is a God that's saying, I would rather suffer and die myself than everyone else suffer the penalty of, of their own sins. I would rather die than, uh, and give myself. So, so when God comes to us in Jesus, it's a self-giving. And so that, for me, that's where I found sort of the life-giving nature of this, of this idea of atonement, that God gave God's self uh, and suffered the penalty of God's self for us. And then where the Spirit comes in, then is that so how do we how are we partakers of that and we would say it's through the spirit it's the holy spirit that applies that to us through our faith and so where the where the where the fire and brimstone preachers will come from um right given that jesus has sort of taken care of the sin they would then say well but you have to have faith and believe and trust in that christ has done that for you and that's the way that you become a partaker of that and if you don't well, then it's as though Jesus hasn't done that for you. It's a rejection of what Jesus did for you is, would, be, would be the line of thinking. I think there are helpful and unhelpful ways to preach that. <laughs> and I think there are a lot of really unhelpful ways to preach that. But idea. what about, so, okay, I have a few questions. Please. First of all, 
One of the things that I don't understand in what you just explained of like, Jesus is God. God mm-hmm. is sending God's self to die. It's not an abusive relationship. Mm-hmm. Well, then how do you explain the fact that we have so many examples of Jesus praying to God mm-hmm. and talking to God and asking, like even in his, his last 24 hours, let this pass from me. Is Jesus talking to himself? Is it like... Or does Jesus see God as a separate entity from himself that he's speaking mm-hmm. to? Because mm-hmm. we use Jesus as an example of how to be in relationship with God, yeah. but Jesus is God, right. according to the Trinity. And so I find that really confusing. Mm-hmm. Of like, it's easy to say God sent God's self. Well, if mm-hmm. that was the case, why would God ask God, please don't let this happen? I don't yeah. understand. Yeah, that's those are those are excellent questions. Um, there's a lot, and there's and there have been historically, I think, are different ways to approach it because that is something we have to we have to address. Um, one, there's a couple of different ways that I'll I'll put that we might address that. One is that right. So when we talk about Jesus, uh, Jesus, right. So we're talking about the nature of like that Jesus is both fully God and fully human. So there's this fully human aspect of Jesus that is um, that is sort of. And it's hard, it's hard to describe this. Um, well, there's a fully human aspect, a fully human um, dimension of Jesus and a fully divine dimension of Jesus. And those are together, but they're not the same. Like humanity is not therefore divine um, in, this, in that exact same way, but the, the two things are kind of married in Jesus. So, so one way we might address this is to say, well, Jesus, yes, Jesus is God, but Jesus is God mediated to us through a real human person with real uh, desires, real normal human desires and temptations and fears and that sort of thing. And we also see through scripture that in some way that, that we, that I don't have a great, nobody has a great explanation for that Jesus seems to know an awful lot, but not everything, right? So, and I, I would attribute that to Jesus has a human brain. It may be God, but has a human brain. And there's only so much the human brain can contain. That's a whole other discussion. But um, so I think that, that, that Jesus, um, while being fully God, also has this, this deals with the same stuff that we do. And that's a very human thing to do, would be to say, I really don't want to do this. And yet still say, but not my will, but your will be done, right? So um, so in the end, even though Jesus is saying, like, I'm really not looking forward to this, but it needs to happen, but I'm... I'm on board, like I'm, wi- I'm with it, right? So he, in the, in the, like, right? So he doesn't, he doesn't, because I believe when he says, "Yet yeah, not my will, but your will be done." Um, that I mean that's him saying yes, right? He's but not if kicking he's saying screaming. not my will, but your will, would that mean Jesus is God and Father is God have two different wills? Yeah, that's a classic question, and I also don't know the great. I don't. I know there is a, a, a traditional answer to that. I don't. I don't. I'll just. I'll just answer from what comes to mind when you say that. And I'm still trying to decide what I think about this particular one. So particularly, and I'm sure it's not just like Reformed Calvinistic theologians, but one of the sort of things you'll often hear from Reformed Calvinistic theologians, theologians is that Jesus is beginning to sense the weight of all of humanity's sin in this moment, right? Something that Jesus had, had never experienced sin before, right? Being a sinless person. And now God is preparing to like lay all the sin of, of humanity. The Father's going to lay all the sin of humanity on Jesus, which he's agreeing to, but it is a, um, it is, it is a, um, 
a horrendous experience. And they'll, they will also say, and I also, ha- I'm, tra- I'm trying to start to decide how I feel about this, because I think there's maybe some scripture that would, that would counteract this. But they'll also say that on the cross, when Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? They will say that he really meant it, because in that moment, all of the sin of humanity was on him. And, and God, you know, to use a human metaphor, is God, had, God looked away because God can't look at sin or something like that. Um, and so God, so Jesus really did feel for like a, just a brief moment, what it, w- what it would be like for humans to be separated from God. And that was part of the suffering of, uh, uh, that Jesus underwent. I think there was some scripture but that But he is God. I, well, like, exactly. It's, and yeah. it's, so the Trinity, this is, Man, what an episode to go out on, Nick. Seriously, like this is the hardest thing. The Trinity is one of those topics that the more I ask questions, the more I talk about, the less clarity I get and the more confused I get. And I feel like that's what's happening right now is I'm extremely confused, which Mm -hmm. I'm okay with. Like I'm happy to sit and wonder. But one of the things that you talked about was like, hey, there's a difference between like not fully knowing the Trinity and rejecting it. Yeah. So what about the in-between? Because I would mm-hmm. say like I probably sit in like I'm not ready to reject it, mm-hmm. but I'm not just going to say, oh, yeah, I believe that 100 percent. It's too confusing. I have mm-hmm. too many questions. I'm not sure. I don't understand. Is that a problem if I die mm-hmm. and I'm like, I can't say with absolute that I fully believe in this structure? I don't know. I really just don't yeah, know. Yeah. And that's not rejecting it. No, yeah, no, There's no. gray areas that I feel like we don't always embrace. Absolutely. And is there mercy on that? I mean, absolutely. Like once again, if everyone if everyone had to have perfect theology in order to 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 to, to be saved, in order to be in right relationship with God, maybe one person in all of humanity <laughs> would be saved. Right. Because I don't know. I mean, you might find some people that will say, yes, we agree 100 percent on everything. Well, I, I feel like there's that, a lot but... of people who say it. I don't know if they actually right. feel it or believe it, but right. it feels like when you walk into a church, you are among people who are living in certainty. Yeah. And I'm well, yeah. it, it just that's the feeling that. Yeah. I don't, and we've had this conversation. Is everybody faking it? Maybe, but <laughs> like, I, I think that I just want to hear more people say, I don't know. Yeah. I think people, I think, I think people on the whole, on, on, on the whole, I think people that are in churches, I think most of them are trying. I think most of them are wrestling with it or avoiding wrestling with it. Yeah. Um, I mean, this, this episode's not going to make you feel better no, about right, the Trinity. Not. Yeah. Well, you know, I do think there, there, there could be things to inspire and edify in, the, in this conversation mm-hmm. because it's, it's, it, it will show the messiness mm-hmm. of the whole thing, but it will also show that I, for me, when I, these discussions show me that I have the raw materials to, to go in and like start exploring it myself to yeah. say, okay, I want to look at those scriptures and see how I put them together. See if I can see that. Right. Uh, Cause I think, so to, to, to your question, you know, is there mercy of it? Does everybody have to have the perfect theology of the Trinity or of anything? Once again, no, because if any, if I don't think anybody has the perfect theology, probably. Um, I do think that um, you, that there, yeah, that gray area between outright rejecting um, 
which once again, for that person who is outright rejecting, I would just want to have a conversation with them about why and walk mm-hmm. them through and see where their where their ha- where their issues are and see like what we're like what is it they're actually rejecting? Is are they rejecting that they don't that there's something that doesn't make sense that they don't get? Are they, but are they rejecting it because they they really think like Jesus isn't God and therefore you know I, I'd, I'd want to know what it is, um, but um, but I do think I do think that wrestling with the doctrine of the Trinity is a good thing, uh, which is not to say that someone who's just like, yep, I'm in, I'm all about the Trinity, that there's a problem with that necessarily. Um, I think I would want to say, I would want them, I would want to know that they have thought about it and mm-hmm. didn't just say, oh, so the Trinity is a thing we're, we're, we're believing in? Cool. I yeah. mean, they might do that. Like someone who's new to the faith might do that. And I wouldn't have any problem with that because they haven't had time, yeah. <laughs> they haven't had uh, the opportunity or really the encouragement to do that. But well, and I'll I'll say this, when we're trying to actually lay it out into words, that's very difficult to do. I will say specifically with the Holy Spirit, that's not something I'll fight because experientially I've felt the presence of the Holy Spirit at, mm-hmm. at and maybe that's just language we create and I don't know what it is, whatever you want to call it, the energy of God, Mm -hmm. the, and what, like I've, there have been times in my life that I, it's been tangible. Mm -hmm. I've felt it. And so it's not necessarily that I'm fighting that God comes in different forms. Mm -hmm. Um, but I do want to ask like the idea of the Trinity of three feels very limiting to me Mm -hmm. of like, God only presents God's selves in three ways, father, son, Holy spirit, when I'm wondering like, okay, we've seen examples in scripture of God as mother. Mm -hmm. We've seen examples of scripture where God is Mm non-gendered. We've seen examples in scripture where God shows up as a burning bush. Mm -hmm. And so God is nature. Like why is it that we limit it to the three um, rather than saying God can appear in an infinite number of ways that we will never understand. Mm. And that's the doctrine. (laughs) Yeah. God, the infinite. Right. Um, I think, I think there's something very true in what you said, right? That God can and does and will, and is, is liable to speak in any, through in any way, through any, any, any medium. Um, and some of the examples you give are perfect examples of when God has done that. Um, yeah. So in that sense, I think, yeah, absolutely. We don't want to, we don't, we, we don't want to do what I hope we don't want to do. What I don't want to do is to like, is to let theology be, um, be a straight jacket in the sense that like, or a mold, right. In the sense that it has to fit just within here. But I, I do think that theology, the, the idea of the Trinity is, is a helpful tool and that we can address all those different things through it. Um, so I guess what I'm saying is the, tr- the Trinity doesn't have to be a, a, a limiting factor. It can be, and I think that would be a problem, uh, but it doesn't have to be. So I'm thinking like, for instance, the burning bush, like what it is it that we are encountering in the burning bush? We could say we're encountering the spirit of God on the, right? Because I'm thinking about other images from scripture. Um, I'm thinking about the tongues of fire that descended upon the, the disciples on the day of Pentecost. Yeah. And we call that the Holy Spirit. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And so we could then say, okay, this is an image. We're, we're talking about the spirit, the, the, the holiness of God, that the spirit of, of God, or, or we could say God is speaking out of the, the bush. And so therefore what we see is God's word. And when we look then at, at John chapter one to see Jesus is the word, 
right? Then we can say, okay, so it's this, what we would call the second person of the Trinity, the, 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 the eternal word of God, the eternal son of God uh, that is we're encountering here because God is speaking, um, right? So we can use those to understand it. Um, so, so here's a, a quote that um, I think this is from John, John Calvin. I don't know if it's original to him. He may have gotten it from one of the early church fathers. He often did. But um, I believe he's the one that I recall saying something like, um, when God speaks to us, um, God, God speaks with, um, with a lisp or with a stutter. And what he meant by that is that um, God an infinite being communicating to finite beings, right? There's only so much we can understand. And so God has to, um, because of our limitations, speak in a way that may not, that may seem smaller than it really is, right? Mm -hmm. So we'll speak in images. We'll speak in um, um, essentially baby talk (laughs) to humans. And so if it, if maybe the reality is beyond the language we use for it, um, that should, that's not a problem. In fact, it's to be expected because yeah. we have these tiny little brains and God is I- I- infinite, greater than the universe. Well, and that's what I wonder about sometimes when I get into my deconstructionist mindset is like, we're, our entire faith tradition is just our human dumb, dumb brains trying to put <laughs> constructs and systems on God, which is, why are we doing that? Like, right. why are we even attempting to do that? Mm-hmm. Because then we're trying to make God smaller mm-hmm. than God is because we're trying to make God something that we can understand. Mm-hmm. So like, and then there's this paradox of like, God is something that we'll never understand. It's too big for us to comprehend, but you better step up to the plate and be like, yeah, I'm in, Yeah, you know? Yeah. I see what you're saying. I think the idea is this, this is how, this is where my mind goes. God may be speaking to us in, in baby talk. I mean, maybe we can't ever really understand the like vastness of God in the universe and all the way things work, but God does speak. <laughs> right. And so we are, um, in some way responsible for what God does speak, what, what is communicated to us. And, um, I, I would be one who would say that that we don't. I mean, I think that there are. are um, I think there's a field of of things you can legitimately draw from what God has spoken to us. So it, everything's not going to look alike. That's why we have different denominations and different traditions and different ways, even within traditions, of doing things. But I do think that there are some things that are part of that and some things that come that come from outside, right? That we, that are not part of that thing, nothing that God has, or maybe even contrary to what God has expressed to us. And so, so yeah, I guess what I would say is we can't, certainly we can't understand it all, but what we have been given, um, I think we have a responsibility to, and I would say, I'm glad we have the opportunity to, to deal with that, right? To like, try to understand it and try to figure out how to live our lives by it. My, you know, part of my goal in life is to constantly be fighting the patriarchy. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I do want to ask the question, uh, going back to God, the father mm-hmm. versus God, the mother, right. because, uh, the word father is used so often mm-hmm. in scripture to talk about God, but also God is described as a mother bear protecting her cubs. Mm -hmm. When they talk about, some people have referred to like God 
knitted me in my mother's womb mm-hmm. is like God is part of is the like womb. Like There's like the yeah. feminine divine mm-hmm. um, that we never really lean into. And I'm wondering like, why did we choose God the Father? Why did mm-hmm. we choose God the masculine when we've seen so much of God described in nurturing? Right. And I've brought up... Um, in some worship meetings every now and then I was like, you know, I'd love for us to talk about God, the mother. And Mm -hmm. what if we did the Lord's prayer, our mother who art in heaven. Mm -hmm. And it makes people so uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And I don't understand why. Do you have any insight into why we defaulted to the masculine of the parental figure of God? Yeah. Here's the two basic ways you can think of it. You can either say say it as this is the way God specifically chose to express God's self using not always, but generally masculine uh, words and imagery. And so therefore, recognizing that God is not a human male, <laughs> right. <laughs> right? That Jesus is, but right, but that God is not a human male, um, you know, that there must be something about this concept of father and son that is important. So that's one way to look at it. Another way to look at it would be, and, and I, would, I, would, I would fall mo- maybe more on that side. I don't know. I, I, I'm working through this, but... Um, so, but also, I would say that in that case, when we, when we, if we're going by that understanding, that God specifically wanted God's self expressed in this way, that what we're essentially talking about, to use something a little more modern, is this is God's preferred pronouns, <laughs> right? Are the He ones, for whatever reason, recognizing that God is not a human male. Um, well, I, I think more accurately, it would be our preferred pronouns for God, well, because we'll see, and, 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 we're the ones, humans are the ones who wrote the words right. down. Well, and, and this is the second one, sort of idea that I'm talking okay. about, right? Sorry, what, I oh, cut okay. you off. No, I got you. I'm with you. So, so th- that's going to be one way of looking at it. Yeah. The other way of looking at it is going to be that uh, a more enculturated way of thinking about it. And the idea that being kind of what you said, that now everyone agrees that these are uh, that the scripture is, um, you know, is divine. What would agree to a, to a, to a, to a, to a degree that is divine, um, but written through human authors. Yeah. Right? And to learn more about that, go back to our, is right. the Bible, uh, can we trust the Bible right. episode? Right, right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And so, and so some with, with maybe a, with maybe a, a more, um, uh, w- what is traditionally called a higher view of scripture, although that's contested language, but would say that, um, would say that, uh, that yes, God sort of, it was within God's choice, divine choice, that that kind kind of language be used about God. The other the, the other sort of end of not, not total end of the spectrum, but it's the shifting a little bit on one to one direction on the spectrum would then say that well no God um, God did direct in some way the writers of Scripture, but the um, but not to the level of language. So this is this is what's called either verbal inspiration is the other thing, right? That the, the, the other one I'm talking about, right? That God specifically inspired each individual word, so that each choice of word was inspired by God. This other one is not gonna. This other way of thinking about it is not gonna hold to verbal inspiration to say that God inspired the basic thrust of the text, but that um, the language used is entirely um, based on the culture of the author. And so therefore, because it's mostly men writing in a patriarchal type culture where the father would be seen as the the, the protector, the, the head authority. of the family, the authority, yeah. et cetera, the one with the power and authority within a you know, family, society, whatever, that that would be come down through there. And I understand why people, why people see it that way. The Lord's Prayer specifically is a, is a, is a particularly challenging one because the Lord's Prayer comes in, in whole, except for the very end part of it from scripture. Right. Mm-hmm. So that would be, uh, if you wanted to change it to God, our mother, I would see why some people might have a problem with that. Cause say, well, okay, 
you're changing the scripture. Okay, I get it. Like, whatever. Um, so other prayers, so some people might say, leave the Lord's Prayer alone, but <laughs> other prayers can address God as mother. I know. It's, it's the right. it's the the Lord's Prayer specifically that is so sacred that it right. people just right. kind of lose their right. minds right. Right. over yeah. adjusting it. Right. But then there are people who will, who will do that. And yeah. I've heard many versions of the Lord's Prayer that are addressed to uh, God our Mother or to Abba or to yeah. God our Creator. And I well, get it. Well, because it kind of goes yeah. back to what we were saying about Jesus and and you were talking about the humanity mm-hmm. of Jesus and I kind of lean into that on this they're like oh well Jesus was praying to the father mm-hmm. well Jesus was also possibly limited by the human dum dum brain right. um, <laughs> at least like, to some degree <laughs> like in this patriarchal society where men are the absolute authority and no one could ever imagine um god as feminine mm. Is it like, would Jesus have been able to imagine that in the, in the culture that he was a part of? I don't know. See, so, so, and then I'm going to get all of these emails about, you can't limit Jesus, but. <laughs> right. Well, you know, and this is the thing we, unfortunately, we can't just walk up to Jesus and ask him those kind of questions. Now we can, we certainly can pray and we can deal with the goat through those. And I'd like to think that someday that, that, you know, uh, that, that, that we, we can, we can know that, but I'm just imagining just, I'm sort of, um, I'm imagining that Jesus is, we're hanging out with Jesus and he's sitting right here and we'd say, Hey Jesus, so what would you think so, you know, the prayer you taught us, our, oh God, our father. So, so we know that, you know, we've seen other parts of scripture, how God is, is kind of described in these feminine ways. Could we say our mother who art in heaven? We have no idea what he would say. He might say, yeah, yeah, that works. Right. Or he might say, well, uh, you know, um, here's the reason why I said father and not mother, because there's something I had in mind. Or So we don't know what he would say, but he, you're right. He, he could say, um, yeah, um, yeah, that's that's fine. We we don't know, mm-hmm. and so I think people when people put then now there could be all different motivations for why they would be like be so protective of the Lord's prayer. Some may be more like that makes me uncomfortable for reasons I don't even understand, mm-hmm. right? That kind of thing. Some of them may be just uh, a really high regard for okay. We just want we just really want to we really value the way this is expressed in the scripture. So we want to keep it the way we read it in our Bibles. But right, so I think there's different motivations for mm-hmm. it. I don't think that one somebody would necessarily have to be um, recoiling at the idea of God the Mother to react in that to like have that sort of idea about the Lord's Prayer. Although they may, somebody may very well may have that reaction because of that. So um, yeah. Well, and I I kind of want to talk about in the Trinity, Jesus's role. We've been talking about a lot. Um, There is one element that is a little bit confusing to me. So, and this is just based on feelings. Um, I can get on board with like the Holy Spirit is present with us today Mm -hmm. because I've felt that when I pray, I I often default to praying to the spirit because Mm -hmm. that's what I feel Mm -hmm. more than anything Mm -hmm. else. I can understand that God is with us today. Um, Jesus Mm -hmm. is the Jesus event, something that came and went that we're supposed to learn from Mm -hmm. and just like, uh, it, it's more of a teaching tool for us or is Jesus, I know like with the resurrection, they're like, Jesus is alive today. Like mm-hmm. is, is Jesus still like present with us? Like that entity that we're supposed to be able to feel mm-hmm. because I don't know if I've ever felt 
Jesus's presence. Right. Yeah. And I think that's a fantastic question. I think this is another place that, that, that the Trinitarian theology is really helpful because the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit, right, is distinct in some way, but it's also referred to as the Spirit of Christ. And so that in that, because the, the, whole, the, the Trinity is, 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 is also one, that when we experience the Holy Spirit, we are experiencing Christ, the Spirit of Christ, uh, and the Spirit of, of, of you know, God, the, the Father, God, the first person of the Trinity, God, the, the, however you want to express it. Um, so in that way, like, um, I think, yes, Jesus is with us, even in when we might say this is the presence of the Holy Spirit, but it's also the presence of Christ. In the Trinity, is there a main form of God mm-hmm. or do all three ideas of God's forms have equal weight and equal authority? And I'll, I'll temper that by saying my understanding growing up, this is not anything that was taught to me, but it's like a subtle underlying message is that God, the father, number one. Right. And then everything stems from God the Father. Which makes sense because, like, you know, parents are the boss of the kids, right? So, of course, the father would be in charge of the son. So, therefore, the son must be lesser in some way. Yeah. So, like, how are we? And even the relationship between Jesus and the father Mm -hmm. that we see is, like, Jesus deferring to the father as authority. Mm -hmm. Um, Is the Trinity supposed to be, like, an equal weight among the three? Or is it more of a pyramid? Mm -hmm. So, uh I can see it both. I can see it going both ways, and I can see because yeah, I, th- I think I feel like probably most people have that image of of the Trinity in that way. And there's actually an interesting little. Uh, I don't know. This is an aside. One of the one of the things that continues to be a disagreement between Eastern Christianity and Western Christianity is how the Holy Spirit fit, fits into that triangle, if you will. Mm-hmm. In the Eastern version, it just says, "I believe in one holy in, in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the Giver of life, who proceeds from the Father." And so the idea in Eastern Christianity is we have the father who begets the son, right? Mm-hmm. So like gives birth to, gives, you know, gener- whatever, generates the son and the father, pr- the spirit proceeds from the father. So you kind of have a triangle with no bottom, essentially. Mm-hmm. It's just like a ray kind of kind of coming down one from each side, if you want to use it that way. Whereas in Western Christianity, it is exactly as we have it here. I believe the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the father and the son. So this is where we get our full triangle, right? So, we have, you know, if we have, let's say the father's at the top, the son is right here, and the Holy Spirit is these two sides coming together to get this one, this other corner. Um, but it feels like in any description, the Holy Spirit is third on the totem pole. Right. Well, which is odd, odd it, to me because that's the one that I feel most connected to. Right. Well, but I think I think Eastern Christianity would disagree. And they would say that's why this is important. Mm. Because they would say that that's, that subordinates the Holy Spirit to the Son. <laughs> Whereas their version only has the spirit coming from the father so that the son and the, and the, and the spirit are like on the same level, if you will. Mm-hmm. And that's the, that would say that's a big difference. That's why there, there's such, there was, has been historically so much conflict over it. Now, um, but the question remains, is this a hierarchy? Like, how does this work? Is God, the father, like the real God and the other two are like the, like junior gods or something, or like, how does it work? Um, I think an answer to this, it has been given is that what we're talking about because there's still one, we're still talking about equality, but we're talking about a uh, role essentially here um, that the father sends the son. And then, and I see where Western church is coming from because you read all kinds of scriptures about the son sending the spirit. 
But you also read about God sending the Spirit. So I think that's where they're coming from. Just mm-hmm. once again, it's an inductive thing. We have two Bible verses. One says, Jesus says, I will send the Spirit. So nobody sends one, God. Right, right. And so in this, in this point, so a lot, now the Trinity, we're, we're talking essentially about speculative, well, not spe, speculative is not the right word. We're talking about um, trying to put language on a mystery. Yeah. <laughs> that um, It's the whole, it's back to our dumb, dumb human brains right. of it, like, it, we're exactly. trying to create a construct where it is impossible to create and it's not gonna, it's not gonna work. <laughs> right, right. So is it, so in our minds, it seems impossible to say, how can, how can some, how can one sort of send, have the authority to send the other one and yet not be, um, greater mm-hmm. in some essential way from the other one. Um, because in and, our dumb, dumb human brains, right. we and, think in terms of hierarchy right. and that's the only way we understand the world. Right. Right. What I t- do with that is just kind of just talk about human dumb, dumb brain. Like you said, like we have the scripture, we do our best mm-hmm. <laughs> to kind of like understand God by what's there. But when it comes to those inner workings, those things that we're trying to like piece it all together, at some point we just have to say, I, I, uh, yeah. Well, and here, here's the thing that I, um, fall into, right. Is like, we're taught so often, like the Bible is the authority, Mm -hmm. like the authority of scripture. This is where our faith Mm -hmm. comes from. And so I think that we often function under the assumption of the people who wrote these words are more connected to God than we are Mm, that they, at least that's what I think of like, Oh, well these people get it. So Mm -hmm. I'll just go with what they were getting. Well, what makes us think that they had any better understanding or any closer connection to God than we do today? Like they, they weren't necessarily closer and had a greater understanding of God than we do. And so that's where I get like all up in my head about the Bible, which we're not going to get into this because we already did a two part episode on can I trust the Bible? Um, But yeah, it it really starts to mess with me. I want to take a little break from the Trinity, like the trying to <laughs> trying to explain the Trinity. The Trinity because, and I are on a break right now. Yeah. So, so I <laughs> here's the thing. I'm more confused than when we started, sure. which I fully expected out of this episode. This is a doozy of an episode. So I want to take a little step away from trying to explain the Trinity. Yeah, please. And I would just like to hear from you on a personal level. Mm-hmm. How do you think that the Trinity has positively impacted your relationship Mm -hmm. with God? And what part of the Trinity do you feel most connected Mm -hmm. to? Yeah. Yeah. Um, The way that the doctrine of Trinity has most impacted my life is something, and that's, I think that's why I dwelt and went so deep on atonement earlier, because for me, that was revolutionary because I, um, particularly penal substitutionary atonement, it had gotten such a bad rap to me. Like, and you know, it was even today when you go into the board of ordained ministry of the United Methodist church and they say, talk to us about atonement. And you say, well, you know, I really think for me, penal substitution makes the most sense. You kind of get weird looks Mm. because it has gotten such a bad reputation, um, in mainline Christianity. And it really even, well, because it's been explained so poorly and has been preached, uh, so, badly in, in so many ways. And so I get it. Um, and I used to agree with that. But when I finally sat down and I, and not like I sat down one day and, but when I finally, um, started to deal with it and read through scripture and try to, you know, kind of like 
like I said earlier, just look at what I have here and try to kind of understand what's being expressed to me. When I, when I saw, wait a second. Yes, there's some kind of, you know, there's Jesus and the Father, they, they speak, to, they, they speak to one another, and there's, there's a difference there, but Jesus is God, and Jesus willingly does everything Jesus does, even when Jesus says, you know, if, if we can take this away from me, but nonetheless, not my will, but your will be done. Essentially, Jesus is saying yes to God, like, like there's some part of him that's like, resisting the looking forward at what he's about to suffer and then saying, but ultimately he doesn't go kicking and screaming. He ultimately says, yeah, but let's do this. Um, when I, to me, that made all the difference. And when I, cause it changed the way I, not only that I could say, okay, I, I get penal substitution now. And, and maybe that would probably take a whole other podcast to explain why I think that's the most not the only atonement theory, but the central for me, the the most um, unifying. Um, and I'll be honest, I'm not on board with it, but fine. I respect your yeah. your belief structure. Well, right. Well, because because uh, to me, it 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 showed it wasn't just Jesus who was giving Himself for us; it was God. Right. It was like the same essence who created the universe would be willing to do that. Mm-hmm. To me, that was so powerful. And that's where it was like, okay. And then when I began to hear other people talk about penal substitution in ways that were saying like, oh, it's divine child abuse. I would, it would always come to mind. That's because just think about the Trinity. Now, not, not everybody, that's not gonna, that answer is not going to like satisfy them. They're gonna be like, yeah, but here's a lot of different reasons why. Mm-hmm. They, might be, they might have really good arguments. But when I just go back and remember, three persons, but one essence, one God, it's the one God who's doing this. That changed everything for me. Well, and one of the, I will say, I'm a little envious of, you know, I've been very open with that. I struggle with the Jesus uh, as savior. And one of the things that I think after you explained like your personal epiphany with uh, reinterpreting penal Mm. substitution and atonement, um, it makes more sense why you are uh, so confident in why Jesus did what he did. And that's why I think I've had so much trouble latching on to Jesus as savior is like, why did this have to happen? I don't have an answer. And they're like, none of the theories and maybe you're right. Like none of them have been explained in a way that's really helpful. And so it hasn't clicked in for me yet, but I just constantly, I'm like, there are so many reasons why this didn't have to happen. Like if God is big enough, Mm -hmm. why did this have to happen? Why was this the only way there had to have been more than one way? And then I imagine like Dr. Strange from Marvel, like coming up with all the different scenarios of Uh what could have happened. And he's like, no, this is the only way, you know? know, And there's there's actually a whole theology that's exactly that called Molinism that I would love to talk about some other time. I thought you were going to say the multiverse theology. Well, I mean, (laughs) Molinism basically is the multiverse theology. It was, it was, um, essentially said, I'll just be a little aside and people can go and go to YouTube and type in Molinism, go to find William Lane Craig. He's one of the best people to talk about it. Essentially, this is the idea that God, um, uh, being infinite, 
could see every potential universe. And so then chose to like actualize the one wherein these certain, every, these things happen where this, the, where the, maybe the most number of people freely chose uh, Christ. And so essentially this is a way to be, to have, to reconcile God's, uh, sovereignty and freedom of humanity. Yeah. So it's just said, okay, let me, let me look at all the possible universes where, where of every possible free choice a human could make. And so, and then f- to say, this is the one I'm going to make this one real. Well, so anyway, uh, I would love to bring you back on a future episode of, I know you'll be busy, but a future episode of like, why did Jesus have to die and go yeah. through all of the theories around yeah. that? Because, yeah. you know, we've only brought up one element of one theory. Cause like right. you mentioned, there are more theories yeah, within sure. the atonement theory. Oh, even. Um, and so would you say that Jesus is the branch of the Trinity that you feel most spiritually connected to, or Mm. is that oversimplifying? Well, um, because for me, it is cut and dry. It's the Holy Spirit for right. me. Like that is what I feel most connected to on yeah. a daily basis. And then scripturally, it also makes sense to me that the Holy Spirit was sent down to be with us. I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, that's why I feel it so much uh, more acutely than God, the Father, or Jesus, yeah. the Son. I th- that's a great question. I, I think when I think of it experientially, like who who is it like when I'm praying or when I'm am. Uh, sensing the presence of divine reality, which of the three persons am I sort of, is at the forefront of my mind? Um, It probably is Christ. It probably is Jesus. Um, Yeah, I I guess, I guess it is. Um, And for me, I think that's because I think of, um, of Jesus as that, complete, perfect expression uh, of God, right? Is the, one of the ways that I talk about what it means for Jesus to be the word of God is that words are what we use to communicate. And so Jesus is like the ultimate communication of God to show us what God's like and what God desires and that sort of thing. So I think that's why, and also Jesus is human and like, it's easier for us to relate to people who are more like us, right? Mm -hmm. And so I guess when I imagine um, the humanity of Jesus, you know, in, in Hebrews, we read that, um, right in Jesus, we have a high priest who's, who is not unable to sympathize with us because he experienced the same temptations that we do. So especially when I am feeling weak and feeling, you know, tired or exhausted or ashamed or, you know, being, feeling guilty for something that I did that I really shouldn't have done or way that I acted or whatever. Um, I think it's the humanity of Jesus that, mm-hmm gives me comfort. See, and I'm the opposite of like, I don't know if it's that, um, I lean in more to like instinct and gut Mm. feelings. Mm. Um, but if I'm like feeling my lowest low, Mm -hmm. I specifically am like, Holy spirit, be with me, Mm -hmm. comfort me, be Mm -hmm. here. And then I feel like a calming presence, but it's not, it doesn't, I don't see Jesus. Like I don't, and Mm -hmm. I don't know. I just find it really interesting. I do think that that's one of the ways that the Trinity is 
very helpful is that there is no one right way to mm. connect with God. Mm. I wouldn't say like, unless you are looking at it in a hierarchical manner, mm. the fact that you connect more clearly with Jesus doesn't mean that you're, you get God more than right. me being like right. feeling more connected to right. the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit and is just I think as, God, as much God as Christ is. To that extent, is, like yeah. I have talked about, okay, is the Trinity limiting or liberating like hey maybe it could be both depending on how it's taught yeah uh, i think that's the ticket right there yeah <laughs> but i in that sense i'm like oh it is liberating that we can experience god differently and neither of us are right and neither of us are wrong it is just you know god is presenting god's self in the way that we need it the way that we yeah. need to be fed yeah. well and, yeah, absolutely and i, I do uh, so that makes me think of another way that yeah that the trinity is um is i think um the opposite of limiting is that, especially within the realm of monotheism, right? What, what we don't have is just is just this idea. Here is a, a distant, impassable, um, um, unaccessible God that is um, always somewhere, like totally separate from us, right? Um, and even if we have an idea that 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 just this sort of like. Um, infinite, incomprehensible God is somehow here with us, get, having the Trinity, right? Having, understanding that that can be like, that, that is in some way connected to humanity. That is in some way a, 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 a spirit that's like a wind or a breath blowing through us, right? It actually gives us more access to more images and more ways of thinking about God than just, than a sort of, um, uncomplicated monotheism mm -hmm. uh, of some other traditions, perhaps. Yeah. Oh, um, yes. I would I would much rather be in relationship with a complex God than <laughs> something that's so simple that it doesn't, it, it's not big enough. Like it's not, right. if we oversimplify God, then we're removing the power and the wonder and the mystery. Yeah. Um, and so I'm completely comfortable <laughs> saying, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, right. It's complex. Yeah. Yeah, and it's... I've got a dumb, dumb human brain. <laughs> yeah. Like, what well, am like, I going to uh, do? You know, just, <laughs> well, Nick, thank you so much for having, this was a doozy to end on. I yeah. know, but, um, I so appreciate like all of the time that you've given sure. to this podcast. I know I lay out like the most difficult, I save the hardest questions for you. Cause I'm like, man, I need that scholarly perspective. And one of the things that I've so appreciated about you is first of all, you love to read and you love diverse text. And so you're intentionally reading things you disagree with, or yeah. you don't understand. Mm -hmm. Or, and I think that you know, I like to read things that make me feel good. Sure. So I'm like, yeah, of course I read a lot of Richard Rohr. And you're like, oh yeah, I've read that too. I don't agree with that. I go well, more know, with this one. And I, I just, I value so much all of the different perspectives that you, um, devour mm -hmm. so that you can present all of the different understandings and, and help us wrestle. So it's that. been fantastic. And I hope you'll, again, I hope you'll come back for more just, episodes uh, in the all future. You, all, you gotta, all you gotta do is ask. Yeah. <laughs> but all the best to you in, uh, Vienna senior pastor. Pray for me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I will. <laughs> there's, there's another podcast about that too. If y'all haven't heard the prayer podcast, go listen to those too. Yeah. <laughs> um, thank you so much. Yeah.
space. Oh man, that was tough. Yeah. 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 That was good though. You did great. <laughs> the Life Plus God podcast is hosted, written, and produced by me, Alyssa Robinson, and sponsored by Treach Memorial United Methodist Church in Flower Mound, Texas. If you live in the Flower Mound area, I invite you to stop by and see if Treach could be your new church family. You can learn more about all of our programs and events at tmumc.org. And I hope to catch you next week for our next episode of the Life Plus God podcast.